Welcome to TCN Talks. The goal of our podcast is to provide concise and relevant information for busy hospice and palliative care leaders and staff. We understand your busy schedules and believe that brevity signals respect. And now, here's our host, Chris Como. Hello and welcome to TCN Talks. Our guest today is Dr. Katie Lands. She is the founder and principal of Top Site Partners. Katie, it's great to have you. I'm glad to be here. Well, Katie, what does our audience need to know about you? Okay, well, I'm a mom, I'm a wife, I'm a child of the South who is living in the North in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I've been a product of the hospice and palliative care movement for over 25 years. Yeah. You were like 12 when you started, of course. That's right. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Well, I'd elaborate on that a little bit, Katie, because yeah. you, you worked in North Carolina for a while, and so maybe just a little bit of what your pathway was like. I sure did. I, you know, it's funny. I, I started out actually in an ER in North Carolina, and I found myself um, consistently seeing people that I knew and loved in my community coming into the ER um, who were clearly chronically ill and dying. And um, after a lot of that, I got really burnt out. And uh, a great mentor nurse told me, Katie, you need you need to go try hospice. I think you'll like that. That's where you really can make a difference and help keep people home. And I did. I fell in love and I've been in love with it ever since. So a decade with Hospice and Palliative Care of Greensboro, now AuthoraCare, helping them build out their palliative care program, getting my NP, because um, I really wanted to help manage patients um, and think. And, and then after working in the ICU for a while and helping people get off the vents, um, I really felt like I wanted to do something further upstream. Why did we need to have post-acute care when there could be pre-acute services? And so mm. the next decade of my career was spent on learning the business aspects of how to build value-based programs. Um, got moved me up to Pittsburgh and UPMC and integrated health delivery system and got to trial some things with health plans back in the early 2000. 10s, 12s, um, and do a demonstration with CMMI back then when the first round of the Affordable Care Act came out. And then the venture capital groups started to come and look at what we were doing and the value added. And so I joined with um, a group called, uh, well, uh, conveners um, and financers that built Aspire and served them as their chief clinical officer pretty much the whole way through from the start, 70 markets, 28 states later, we sold to Anthem and um, at that time, I moved on and, and started Top Site Partners, which is my consulting firm. And um, I've been helping at the intersection of payers, providers, financers, and the industry that I love and self-associate with um, as a serious illness nurse, um, you know, think through the plausible futures and how we get there. And so that's led me into geriatric primary care with a uh, practice here in Pennsylvania, it's led me to working with a lot of really unique partners from Dollar General to, you know, de novo innovation suites um, back to the federal government to think through ACO reach. It's been a wonderful ride. And I'm now just doing my consulting and trying to help people along through these uncharted waters that um, we're wow. all trying to stay afloat in. Well, I'm so glad I asked you that follow up question, Katie, because quite often I think there are 
common, the common of us folks that end up in hospice and palliative care. It's almost like, you know, sometimes there's interesting little twist of that one person that said, you know, Katie, I think you should go check out hospice and think about how that changed the trajectory of your life. In my case, it was my wife going, I think you need to go look at this hospice thing. And she, we were looking at the help wanted ads wanting to move to Pensacola, Florida. And that's how I went from corporate America into hospice. So isn't that amazing how, and then all the great work that you've done now. Well, you want to talk MA plans now? Is that okay? Oh, yeah. Why not? So, <laughs> it, <you> know, <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk MA plans. So what do hospice and palliative care leaders and team members just need to know about MA plans? And then also maybe a follow-up, how can hospice and palliative care organizations position themselves for where MA plans are really going in the future? Yeah. You know, I, I think that they are, are just sometimes as just as confused as we are about what needs to be done and how we get there. I think we all know that value-based care and um, aligning with risk is the way that we're headed, um, but then how do we get there? And I will tell you this, I just spent some time with some this week here from Pennsylvania. I think that there's a lot of fatigue in the management suites of the Medicare Advantage plans. And what I mean by that is that they've got all these vendors that they use for lots of different things. They've kind of piecemealed them together to solve unique problems for their membership. Um, but none of them really speak together. And they're having to hire, you know, different teams inside of the Medicare Advantage plans to basically manage each one of these vendors. It's very expensive for them and also leads to fragmentation and almost duplication of some services. So I think that they're starting to see that as a one unique trend. And they're starting to also say and see, you know, these um, primary care groups and ACOs stand up and say, we will go at full risk in, in rising, growing numbers. And what better group, I would argue, you know, our foundations of hospice and palliative care are built off of a service entity to primary care clinicians and to the patients that are declining, right? And so I think I'm glad to see that there is more interest in primary care absorbing some of this risk. And I think what they're saying is what a great solution to be able to bundle all this into primary care, right? Yep. And get rid of all of these vendors and let those primary care doctors choose the vendors within their networks and markets that work for them um, instead of us forcing it on top of them. Um, and so I'm seeing a lot of that. And I think finally, I would say there's less contracts to be had um, directly for serious illness population management. I think that they have either the large ones, you know, are either integrating or purchasing their own serious illness population suites of human services. Um, so they don't necessarily need as much um, unless it's in rural America because those models tend to break in rural America. I was going to ask, is network <laughs> adequacy an issue yet or is it just more they want to do kind of limited markets where they're having issues? Yeah, I think it's it's that. It's the latter. And, and I, I still think we should be responsive to that and a good partner to them. Um, and I, I would say that that doesn't mean that there aren't still contracts to be had, but they are often going to be need to need. To, I think they should be married with their um, primary care partnerships so that you can really a it's better for the patients. For example, if we aspire, you know, was built on top of primary care, not with it. And that was because of the time 10 yep. years ago and, and what we could and couldn't do. But today, man, what a strengthening of what we can do as serious illness population managers if we go with our primary care partners. Katie, one thing that was astounding me about our show is we have as many line level staff as leaders and also board members, a really good kind of representation. I want you to put back on your line level. And so speak to 
line level hospice palliative care staff members for a second. When you say aligning with risk, I think they probably go, what does she mean? But I think you could give them a quick halftime talk that would be a gift to them real quick. I would love to do that. And hello, my fellow colleagues. I am still deep down a nurse from North Carolina. So um, I want to thank you for what you're doing out there and tell you I miss you. Um, So what I would say about risk is this. If it costs today in 2023, let's say $10 to provide care, to somebody. Um, Going at risk would mean, let's say I'm a nurse practitioner and I say to a health plan, you know what, it usually costs $10 to take care of that patient, but I'm I'm gonna take care of them myself with my team here, this great interdisciplinary person-centered team. And and if we save money, you know, we would love to share in the savings with you. Meaning, well, you get, let's say we spend $8 and you spend 10, there's $2 that we've saved. You keep a dollar, we'll take a dollar. Now, if we don't save money, then we'll pay you. And that is the risk. That is at risk. So that's how I would describe it. That's really good. And and how they do that, right, is those things that we've gotten really good at, which is working with the patient and family, communicating with them well, them calling us first, us keeping them out of the hospital, aligning around a good care plan, that good pharmacotherapy. And so all of that, right, is how we create those savings, or would you say it differently? No, that's right. And I think it's it, it's the things that hospice providers have always done pretty well, and that's the anticipation of crisis, too. Mm. What could go wrong? And as a team, which team members need to be involved in order to avoid that crisis, be it a social one, be it a housing problem, be it a financial problem, or be it a medical problem. And what we do know is that we often have too much medical and not enough for the first three things I mentioned. So I think it's the anticipation of crisis, but then it's the responsiveness when something does happen. Right. That's great. That's that's well said and so true. Well, Kate, let me kind of move forward then. And so I'm going to use a couple of terms I'll define real quick. But you get a very unique kind of front row seat to the roller coaster that is healthcare today. And so you get some interesting front row seats to what I would call disruptive innovations and substitution competitions. And so Clay Christensen coined the term. And to me, the I think we're kind of ripe for a lot of disruptive innovation. The biggest example when I was coming out of business school was deck computers, the old mainframe computers that would take a whole like conference room. And then all of a sudden, desktop computing disrupted that. And these were large, large publicly traded organizations that literally went away overnight. I'm afraid that our hospital friends might be more susceptible to those disruptive innovations, but so are hospice, powder care programs, et cetera. And then substitution competition is a substitution for. So there's a lot of interesting, uh, well, let's just take Humana Centerwell. If you watch the video for Centerwell, I look at that as someone who's grown up in hospice and palliative care and go, damn, that sounds like home-based primary care, palliative care, and hospice kind of combined into one, but you never use those words. And you use really good words that patients and families understand. So that would be an example of a substitution competition. So what are you seeing under the guise of those things from your vantage point? Well, that was one great example. Um, I, I think we're also starting to see large ACOs or at-risk primary care groups. Um, I think, you know, groups like um, Oak Street, Village MD, uh, Chen Meds, all all of these larger primary practices who are accountable for paying back money in the event that the patients spend more, 
they are starting to realize they don't do this particular serious illness population management as well. So the question is, do they build it themselves, which some are starting to think about doing, and they might purchase a hospice, they might partner with some, um, or they might say, you know, what kind of palliative care programs and serious illness management programs can we build in-house so that we can control within our network what's happening. And so I'm not saying that's a bad innovation. It's just starting to naturally occur. And I think as long as they're honoring the KPIs that matter to patients and families, as well as um, the domains of, of serious illness care that our National Consensus Project has given us, um, that that they'll do, they could do okay, you know. And that could, as the ACOs grow, we might start to see our censuses grow go down. Um, I think that's one thing. I think we're also seeing the MSO growth um, and that there, there's managed service groups that are forming to basically aggregate serious illness population managers and manage them towards certain um, levels of care, hospice being one of them. And if you're not in the network, then I'm not sure what will happen, right? Mm-hmm. I, I and then then finally Carvin, you know, like I think Carvin is a question that we um, we don't really know the answer. And for those that don't know what the Carvin is, it's the question of is Medicare Advantage, which accounts for somewhere around fifty five to sixty percent of of coverage in America, is Medicare Advantage going to start assuming? all of the care until someone dies, including hospice. Um, Traditionally, right now, if people elect the hospice benefit, they roll on to the hospice benefit and under uh, and they roll off of Medicare Advantage. The carbon would change that, right? And so, in the event that that happens, um, it's happening within a couple of the large health plans. Then um, what does that mean? Would they do hospice. And I would say mm-hmm. some might. Why change it? Um, they, they, in fact, some are purchasing hospices, large hospice. I think, you know, mm-hmm. United Healthcare and Optum and the purchase of LHC is an example. Um, but or will they have lots of demonstrations happening from within where they continue person-centered inter- interdisciplinary care, but they don't call it hospice? I don't know. Um, we, we really don't know what will happen, but I I don't hear a lot about whether or not people are going to do the carbon or not. I think the jury is still out for a lot of the large groups. Yep. And then by the time this show airs, they just re-up the V-bid till 2030. And then, but yeah, I'm with you. Well, Katie, I also think you, um, you and I were together at Home Care 100 and you just get exposed to a lot of interesting, I'll just call them projects. Yeah. Can you just, just paint the picture of some of those? Because I think it'll... I think it'll expand our listeners' minds to, oh my God, there's so much change going on in healthcare and a lot of innovations. Um, some of them kind of neat. So, can you speak to some of those? Yeah. And I'd say call me anytime if you want to talk about it because I live and breathe for that, <laughs> you know, those types of conversations. We all have ideas and thoughts and we need to lean on one another. And the first type of work or project that I'm doing, it is some thought leadership. Is is And I have, um, I always work from, the consumer perspective, you know, and what's happening. Not a lot of people really talk about patients as consumers of healthcare. Mm-hmm. And I wish we had more businesses within our within our industry that were direct to consumer plays beyond, you know, just understanding the hospice benefit, but more about talking 
talking about what matters to them up front and early, right? We always talk about this. So I'm working on some innovation on that side, and that is mainstreaming direct-to-consumer messaging um, and thought leadership around the plausible futures of serious illness population management. A couple of outputs for that would be, like, for example, the Arizona Hospital and Healthcare Association published a serious illness um, um portfolio and it's really about for the state what are we going to do and what how should we be approaching serious illness population management in our state and it's really well done the capabilities the wow. partnerships the payment structures and that was um so that's it that's one example and then another example of what i'm doing i'm, I'm working with dollar general believe it or not they are working on a rural health care play um a large majority of their shoppers are women caregivers who are caring for parents and children and working full time. Um, and they have to go into the city and they, they really don't have any responsive care for or, you know, beyond their PCPs, um, what they can get it and get medications quickly for in rural America. Yeah. It's a fun fact, 87% of Americans live within five miles of a dollar general. That's incredible. Uh, yeah. 80- 87%. Yes, yes. And so they're thinking about how do we partner with um, payers, with providers to really touch that demographic of individuals who really want to stay in their homes. And I think that that's going to be a very unique opportunity for home health and hospice in America, too, because they don't want to own it internally and they don't want more foot traffic in their stores, per se, for health care. They really want to touch their consumers and um, their their you know, their customers and, and their employees at home. So that's another, that's kind of outside of the box, but it's something right. I'm working on. Thank you to our TCN Talks sponsor, Delta Care Rx. Delta Care Rx is also the title sponsor for our May and November 2023 Leadership Immersion Courses. Delta Care Rx is primarily known as a national hospice, PBM, and prescription mail order company. Delta Care Rx is a premier vendor of TCN and provides not only pharmaceutical care, but also niche software innovations that save their customers time, stress, and money. Thank you, Delta Care Rx, for all the great work you do in end-of-life and serious illness care. Um, Katie, two things. I apologize. I didn't prep you for this, but it just occurred to me listening to you, just the staffing challenges as we go forward. Have you bumped into any innovations maybe around like employment of EMTs, uh, death doulas, anything around those, that realm? Yes. And so the other part of my business is helping de novo projects and innovation. So that can be, um, you know, directly from the founders themselves who are building things out, or it could be, um, uh, you know, a, a company or a venture capital suite that says, hey, we are trying to solve this problem right here. And so I am seeing quite a bit to the point that we made earlier about responsiveness, you know, the EMTs being this really cool new interdisciplinary team member. They are outdoor dogs just like us. I'm sorry. I'm, I hope that you guys love dogs. I do. And I consider myself an outdoor dog. But they're not afraid to go into patients' homes, into whatever situation, do an assessment, call in a doc, and, and you know kind of figure out what needs to be done. And so that is definitely out there. A lot of care management, navigation tools. Um, there's a lot of goals of care, kind of patient-informed decision-making. Um, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, just to interpret the, the your comment is that I'd never heard that term before, but I got it very quickly. They've got no problem being out and about in the community and not having an office where they reside and going into patients and families' homes. They live that way. So that's a pretty good analogy. I'd never thought about that before. Anything on the death doula side, Katie, that you've bumped I into? I haven't seen as much, but not because it's not happening. I just yep. haven't been invited to that table and I would love to go. <laughs> well, so, so here's so obviously you get to see so much. And so maybe put on your... Gosh, if Katie was a hospice CEO or a senior leader in a hospice and palliative care organization, what do you think they should be doing? How should they be positioning themselves? Because I think of that progressive commercial where the guy goes, I mean, I think the general hospice and palliative care leader is just like, oh, my God, all of that is happening. So what do we do about that? Well, it is a very creative time, isn't it? Um, Our traditional board meetings and strategy sessions where we're really focusing on the benefit and maximization of our census and volume and our staff and our, our branding. It's, it's kind of a different conversation today, isn't it? Um, It's, it's, I think it's more about what capabilities do we have in house and who are they valuable to in my community and my network and who cares about the same things that we care about and how can we begin to approach our primary care partners to be either in network, purchase them, maybe, I don't know, and or, um, you know, make sure that we're either serious illness population manager of choice. Wow. Okay, that's something that I think I'll go back and rewind a couple times. I think our listeners will want to as well, because I think that actually would be a great jumping off point for even some board retreats for some of our members. So we've covered a lot of territory. I just want to give you the opportunity just to kind of Final thoughts, just things that you kind of think it is a, a locker room talk. We have a lot of hospice power care leaders, board members, and staff. So what would be your final thoughts? Oh, man. I would say, yes, understand those capabilities. I want to take a deep dive on, deep dive on that. And that's it. Are you seeing the right people? Are you doing the right things for them? And how can you prove it? How can you prove that you're actually doing that and they love you and that you're saving money? Mm-hmm. You know, how can you prove it? And, and illustrate that in a way that will speak to the stakeholders that we just talked about, okay? Um, invest in that data. Invest in your people contributing to that process. The workforce is very necessary in this change transformation, and they have all the keys and tools and the workflows that will actually make it come to life. So if you do it without them, then I worry about our future and our attrition. Because um, as someone who self-identifies as hospice, I've had to understand, no, I am a serious illness population manager. And that means I have to sometimes change how I provide services. And I might be inviting new team members to work with me. I might be having new documentation systems or new things that would demonstrate the value of that care I just provided. So I'm sorry I'm rambling. I just think that those capabilities are really important in the inclusion of your workforce in the change process and in the strategic planning process is really critical. Yeah. Well, well, Katie, one thing I, I just thought about this. Do you know Michelle Webb? And so Michelle's a dear friend. She's president of HPNA, and she's always been passionate just about nurses and just growing nurses' vision of nursing. And just thinking of where you came from, first off, I'm so proud of you. I mean, to think of how you've grown up, hospice, palliative care professional, and the things you're working on right now. 
and we need more Katie Lanzas in the world. And so maybe put that hat on for a second. What's your wish for some of those nurses out there, the future potential Katie Lanzas? What would you say to them? I would say that you are valuable and you have a set of skills that are so important. Um, You're out there alone and you sometimes feel like you're beating your head against the wall, either to get in the front door of the patients for them to potentially hear what you're saying or even for your supervisor to understand your capabilities and what you can do. And I would say that um, continue, instead of being frustrated about it, you know, channel that energy into understanding why and really learning from your community stakeholders how things are done. And for me, that curiosity and that perspective has allowed me to not be so frustrated and more um, translated into action and new plausible futures that we might be able to create together, therefore increasing my value at the table. And so I would say, you know, find your voice through curiosity and whenever you're frustrated, channel that into understanding more about why things are happening the way that they are. That's really good, Katie. Well, again, thank you for the work that you're doing. And Katie, as I read the quote that you gave me today, I want you to turn your camera. Uh, Katie gave me a really cool quote to end today's with, and it's actually from Dolly Parton. And you see this beautiful picture that Katie has of Dolly Parton. And Katie, you said that, so it's the coat of many colors that are from pinball machines. Is that it? Yes, it's old pinball machines. And of course, pictures of my children down at the bottom, but it is her coat of many colors. (laughs) And the quote is, if we want the rainbow, we have to put up with the rain. Thanks for listening to TCN Talks. Thank you. Thanks, Katie. Bye-bye.